Amen. It's great to see you all here this morning. Welcome to those in the chapel and to those online. I am excited about the fact that we have some seats available because now we can continue to reach people for the cause of Christ. And uh, it's great to have all of you. If you're visiting the lake this weekend, uh, we welcome you and hope the weather stays nice for you. Um, Isn't it amazing what people will do to obtain power and wealth? History is, I don't know what that is. But that thing needs Jesus. Uh, history is wrought with scandalous and violent examples of those who were hungry to be on top of the heap and the crazy things that they would do. You don't even have to really go back. All you have to do is look at our dysfunctional political system in America today. And all the Democrats said... And all the Republicans said, (laughs) and let me just give you a newsflash, you don't even have to be a Democrat to fight with a Republican or a Republican to fight with a Democrat. Republicans know how to fight with each other, amen? And Democrats know how to, because it's in our DNA, because we want power, and if, 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 if my opportunity to gain power is if you're in the way of that, whether you're in my party or not in my party, I'll buy ads, I'll cut you, I'll slash you, I'll whatever. It's amazing. I think we ought to take CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News, which are really not news stations any longer, right? Now I'm just making people mad. It's all right. It's okay. It's Memorial Day. Be nice to me. I think we ought to get one channel, put them on channel 1000, Make them all the, all the commentators in the same room on the same day on the same channel. Turn the TV cameras on and people pay $49.99 to watch it. I said that in the 930 service and a guy in the back said, we already have that channel. It's called Cartoon Network. <laughs> but you know, it's so, it's so disgusting because if, if, If you're not in line with my political aspirations, I'm against you. If you're not in line with my political, it doesn't matter. There's no no way to have common ground. If you drive a Chevy and you're not in my political camp, I hate Chevys. It's just a way, and it's all because we want power. How many of you remember the story of Lyle and Eric Menendez? In 1996, they were sentenced to life in prison, two brothers, for killing their wealthy parents in a salvo of shotgun blast in 1989. Prosecutors said the brothers murdered their parents to inherit the family's $14 million fortune. At what point do you say, this is a good plan. In order to get my parents' money, brother, let's go shoot our parents. It tells you the power of greed and the power of, of, of the aspiration in a heart that wants control or power or money. Of course, when you look at the man who was ruling at the time of Jesus' birth, Herod was a brutal man. I was surprised this week as I read two or three different historians on the life of Herod and all of them acknowledge his brutality But most of them say what nice things he did. 
I'm like, I mean, just because the economy's good. He killed most of his wives. He killed his father-in-law out of jealousy. He drowned two of his sons so that they wouldn't rise up and take his throne. And he killed another son. And that's what we know. And that was before social media. So he probably had a few other skeletons in his closet, if the truth were known. I mean, I guess if the economy's good, as long as you don't kill all your wives, that's a good politician. I mean, that bar's pretty low, isn't it? Somebody thinks I'm saying something and I'm messing with you. It's okay. All right, just relax. But it's amazing what we will do to get on top of the heap. The, the Sermon on the Mount, and particularly, and, 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 and I'm not sure about the lights, but if I'm Caesar, if I'm Caesar, uh, if I'm capable of having Caesar with strobe lights, you're going to see me ball up here in a minute. But anyways, uh, uh, in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount, particularly in the Beatitudes, Jesus turns the way the world sees power and all of this stuff on its head. And in order to understand the Beatitudes, let's just look at these sort of foundational truths about the Beatitudes that help us understand them better. It's important to know what the word blessed means. Jesus said bless, 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 bless all through the Beatitudes. Uh, some translated happy. I've often said in recent days, I've told you that's, I don't think that's totally complete of a, of a definition. I, I believe that blessed is the joy and contentment that comes from living under the full favor of God. It's true happiness. It's, it's not circumstantial glee. It's happiness knowing that I'm in the center of God's will and that God's hand and favor is upon me in spite of what may be going on around me. Jesus said, the people who will have the full favor of God, and then he gives us a list of those. The Beatitudes are radical ideas, radical ideas. And, and, and as I've said both uh, Sundays that we've been preaching from the Beatitudes, we read these and they sound so sweet. That, you know, blessed are the pure in heart. Amen. Blessed are the peace. Blessed are... Yes, that's so sweet. But what Jesus was doing, as someone said, was not giving us platitudes. He was dropping bombs on the way of thinking for the Jews who were after religious dominance, the Romans who were after political power, and the Greeks who were after philosophical uh, arrogance. Jesus was saying, I want to tell you how the... The governing system in the kingdom of God works. And he turned it all up on its head. They were radical ideas. Isn't it interesting how often in the church we despise the things that Jesus blesses. And we pursue the things that he warns about. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And we say, well, I don't want to be that. Blessed are they who mourn. Oh, I don't. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be super spiritual and say I want to mourn either. I'm just saying how, how often do we despise the things that Jesus blesses and we pursue those things that he warns us about. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the more. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty after rest. Blessed are the pure. Blessed are they who are persecuted. And, and we, we hear that and we say, man, that's not really in my long-term strategic plan to be persecuted or to be poor in spirit. The Beatitudes are a connected chain, not isolated character, characteristics. These aren't nice things that we get to pick and choose. Jesus is telling us the way and the governing principles of the kingdom. You enter the door of being poor in spirit, and they go one from the other to the other. It's not just something we get to pick and choose from. 
These are inside-out principles. Jesus was introducing these governing principles for his kingdom, and they would be evidenced in his followers by the power of his presence in their lives. They were new ideas then, but they're not new ideas now. As a matter of fact, if our lives today as Christians do not exhibit these traits in some form, it's not evidence that we are not acquainted with Scripture. It is more likely evidence we're not acquainted with Jesus. Because the Beatitudes are not just nice things that we pick up from the outside. They are the work of the Holy Spirit now in the kingdom of God to all those who are born into the kingdom. You don't earn your way into the kingdom. You don't, you don't work your way. You are born into the kingdom by the Spirit of God. And those who have the Spirit of God should be producing these things from the inside out. Now, I'm not saying we're perfectly there and you've arrived and you have no room for growth. All of us, we certainly know that we do. But these are inside-out principles. And the focus of all of this is the glory and, and is to glorify God. Jesus said in verse 16 of Matthew 5, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And Matthew chapter 6, he says, When you pray, you pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The purpose of the Beatitudes is that we might glorify God in our life. John Piper said, Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount so that his Father would get the glory for the way the disciples lived. And this is the aim of his, of his teaching. So we focus this morning on uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 5. I want to read, begin reading and read the first five verses there just to get us to, up to speed to where we are. And uh, let's read beginning in verse 1. Seeing the crowds of Matthew 5, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And then he said, our lesson today, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. There are some scriptures that raise questions. And as a matter of fact, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, sounds really nice. But it raises questions. As a matter of fact, you could go to Kroger's. If you go to Kroger's today and you walk up someone in the produce and say, I just want you to know, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. They're going to call 911. And they're going to think something wrong with you. Not because there's something wrong with it, but it's one of those scriptural passages that sounds so scriptural, right? Are you with me this morning? Are you too spiritual? (laughs) Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. As a a kid who grew up in the church and memorized this at a young age, by, you know, it's what you do, you go to church. I was glad my parents taught me to memorize scripture. We had to memorize the Beatitudes somewhere along the line, Sunday school or or wherever it was. And uh, it's one of those things you just quote, but Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And as a kid with some sort of ministerial ADD, I want to know what that means, right? So let's just look at this uh, verse and ask a couple questions and try to understand it for a few minutes. The first question that comes to my mind is simply this. Who even wants to be meek? <laughs> right? Come on now. A guy left the second service and said, we're, we're one year and three months into a building a house project, and I need a sermon today. Who even wants to be meek? I mean, come on. We, what do we associate meekness with? It's on the screen. It's not hard. <laughs> Weakness, right? 
This is an approach to life that isn't exactly popular in the day that we live. Who wants to be meek? Larry Culliford said, How we all wonder, can those who do not stand up for themselves, the weak and the feeble, inherit anything but their own destruction? It's a conundrum worth thinking about. I found an article on this this week, and this lady is not a Christian, not a believer, but she's writing on what it means to be meek and how, and her, and her article was about you don't want to be meek. But listen to what, what Mary Jacks says. Are you a meek person? I'm going to teach you how to ditch meekness and walk tall. Glad I'm not married to this lady, by the way. She said, if you are meek, your life may be ruled by others, and it's time to ditch meekness. Sounds easy, doesn't it? But it's not, because meekness is habitual response to the challenges of life, and it takes time and effort to change ingrained habits. The root of meekness, she says, is low self-esteem. When our self-esteem is low, we respond to the challenges of life with doubts and fears. And she goes on to write an article on how to ditch meekness. She tells about her own life when she was two years old. Her parents put her on a ferry. They were on a ferry going across somewhere. And they had a harness on her so that she wouldn't fall off the boat. Her mother wanted to keep track of her. Not a bad idea. She threw such an unmeek fit that her mother took the harness off. And as soon as she did, she runs away and hides in some uh, cavern or quarter of the, of, the, of the boat. And the whole boat was in an uproar because they couldn't find the little two-year-old girl that, that didn't know anything about meekness. And then she said, from that day to this, no one has ever accused me of being meek. And again, I thought, man, I'm glad I'm not married to you. She has a view that says, you don't want to be meek. She actually quotes Matthew in her article. She's not a Christian. It's not a Christian uh, 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 source. She said, St. Matthew said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Well, maybe that's true, but they'll have to wait a long time until everyone else has had the first pick on the earth. Who even wants to be meek? Well, that's the world's view, isn't it? But Jesus said, Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. So, so that raises a second question. What does meekness really mean? Understand Jesus' teaching would cause us to heartily disagree with Mrs. Jacks. The term meekness is best understood in understanding the word and its usage in Scripture. The word that Jesus uses for meek is used four times in the New Testament. And it's a word that has two distinct components to its definition. One of the components to the meaning of the word meekness that Jesus uses is power or strength. Now think about that. We think meekness is weakness, right? one One of the tenets of the word meekness is power and strength. And the second tenet of the word meekness is control or restraint. It's a word that means gentle. Actually, one writer said that we got our English word originally gentleman. From this word, gentle man, power and, uh, power and restraint, gentle man. Obviously, the English word has morphed into uh, lots of other meanings, but the original English word we got from this word, it means someone described it as a velvet hammer. It's power with restraint. It's controlled power. And this is the word that Jesus is giving us. Blessed are those who have power under control, who, are, who restrain themselves. As a matter of fact, um, biblical meekness is power under control. And, and Matthew chapter 21, 
another place where this word is used, Jesus uses it in describing himself in quoting the Old Testament. In Matthew 21, verse 5, he says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, the same word, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And what we have here is we have a Living illustration of meekness. You have the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, riding humbly into town in Jerusalem on a beast of burden, not a beast of royalty. And a couple days later, they rip him off that donkey, so to speak, and they tear his clothes, and they beat him, and they spit upon him, and they march him before the high priest, and they march him before Pilate, and Jesus, the scripture says, he stood there as a sheep before his shearers is dumb, and he opened not his mouth. What was that? That was power under control. The songwriter said he could... He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. But Jesus, he says in Matthew 11, Come unto me, all you that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for I am meek. I am powerful, yet restrained. I am gentle, yet almighty. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says, Blessed are the meek. Moses was an illustration of this. His brother and sister accused him in Numbers chapter 12. And in in that unique verse that he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, and Moses was a meek man like no one on earth. And we've often wondered, why would you write that if you were the most meek man on earth? That's like saying, I'm the most humble man here. You know, Brad? Uh, It's obviously more complicated than that. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God said Moses was a meek man because Moses held the scepter of power in the nation of Israel and God took Miriam and his brother out and God corrected them and Moses just said, you know what, I'm going to let the Lord handle this. I'm not going to be the judge and jury on these two people. He was meek. He was powerful, yet restrained. General Peter Pace, former chairman of the U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff, told a story about himself as a young captain during the Vietnam War. He said, there was an event in Vietnam where I almost made a serious mistake. We had been on patrol, and a young Marine named Lance Corporal Guido Farinaro, who was 19 from New York, was killed by a sniper. The bullet came from a nearby village, and I was the platoon leader. He was my machine gun squad leader. He said, I was enraged, and I had the authority and the power... And I called in an artillery strike to get the sniper. Which meant that they would destroy that village on his word. He said, I looked to my right and I saw 21-year-old Sergeant Reed Zachary. He didn't say anything to me. He simply looked at me and I knew what I was about to do was wrong. I called off the artillery strike and we swept the village as I should have done in the first place. And we found nothing but women and children as the sniper was long gone. He goes on to say, had I not, I had immense power, had I not exercised restraint in a moment of emotion and passion, I would have destroyed lots of innocent people. And he says, 
I don't know what I've done, I would have done myself. I don't think I would be standing in front of you today. I almost allowed the rage of the moment to overcome what I thought was some substantial thinking about who I was going to be in combat. You see, you see, meekness isn't weakness. It's actually power under control. So the question then rises. Let me say this before I do that. David, Jesus is likely referring, he doesn't quote it because he doesn't say as it is written, but in, in Psalm 37 verse 11 is an exact quote of Matthew 5, 5. Blessed, uh, the, the, it says rather, the meek shall the meek shall inherit the land. And Jesus is obviously aware of that and, and undoubtedly referring to that. And in Psalm 37, David gives us a picture of what a meek person looks like. Listen to what David said. I'm just going gonna, gonna to jump down through it. Listen, he said this. David said, meek, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Trust in the Lord and do good. Delight yourself in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently on the Lord. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way. Refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. And then he says, but the meek shall inherit the land. And so David tells us that a meek person is someone who doesn't take things in their own hands. They trust in the Lord. They commit to the Lord. They wait on the Lord. They rely upon the Lord. They restrain their anger. They know that God is going to avenge. They don't get, they're not envious, he says in there, of the wrongdoer or the evildoer. It's a beautiful picture of what meekness is like. But that brings us to a question, and that question is simply this. How is this kind of meekness even possible? You might be here this morning like the man was in the earlier service that said, I'm on a house project for one year and three months, and I'm about to call down fire from heaven. And uh, you might be saying, yeah, it sounds really nice, Troy, but, but how is that even possible? Let me start by saying again what I said in the beginning. It's an inside-out process. You can't come to church this morning and say, wow. I've got a real situation developing, and I'm just going to do that. He said it, now I'm going to do it. You can't do it because it involves two things that we don't have. It involves supernatural power, which we do not have. It involves supernatural restraint, which we do not have. What do we have in ourselves? I'll tell you what we have. Unrestrained weakness. At our worst, we are unrestrained weakness. It's where we in our weakness... Just let it go. Well, you're just going to have to get used to it. That's my personality. That's unrestrained weakness, right? You don't like it, you lump it. Wait a minute. You see, meekness is not something you can just pick up at church on Sunday and say, I'm going to do that. Meekness is the work of God in your heart through the work of the Holy Spirit that comes from the inside out. And it's supernatural power from God that you don't have. And it's supernatural restraint from God that you don't have. Amen? If God gave me supernatural power, but he didn't give me the restraint, I would mess some people up. <laughs> Amen? You would too, right? I'd knock me some New England Patriots right off the map. <laughs> oh, I'm just, that's not spiritual. But anyways, <laughs> that's why he doesn't give me a supernatural power unless he gives me supernatural restraint. You see, the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, it's an inside-out process. 
We must remember that Jesus is teaching the principles of the kingdom. Not nice traits for people to adopt. These are the inside out principles that only come to us to the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And I want us to, I, I was thinking about this this week. I want us to remember where this is in the scripture. Because sometimes it, we need to know where we're reading in the Bible, right? And so if you're reading in the book of Leviticus, you need to have an hermeneutic, an interpretive skill that helps you understand what, hermene, what Leviticus is really saying. And when you're in the book of Matthew chapter 5, this isn't, Jesus now is said, I've come to set the kingdom, the kingdom of God is at hand. And he's telling us what the principles and the governing principles of the kingdom of God will be. He said, I'm going to set my kingdom up. It's not a physical kingdom, it's a spiritual kingdom. He died, he was buried, he rose again. He ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit. And now, the kingdom of God is set up in the hearts of everyone who is truly born again. Amen? So, Christ's kingdom, this is not, these, he was talking sort of, this is the way it's going to be in Matthew 5. But this is the norm now for those who are in the kingdom of God. Not that we perfectly are, have attained it or we don't need to grow. Certainly not. But this is the work of God within us. It is the work of the Spirit. Not an attempt of human effort. As we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And allow Him to have full control. He gives us supernatural power to stand. And when somebody smites us on one cheek. He gives us the grace to turn the other cheek. And as we yield ourselves by faith to Him, He gives us the power and restraint. There's nothing like a genuine spiritual conversion to transform us. We are born into the kingdom of God, not earned into the kingdom of God. This past week, May the 24th, was the 280th anniversary of John Wesley's conversion. Aren't you glad you came to church to learn that this morning? May the 24th, 1738. He was already a trained minister he was already working in the church. He had already been on missions trips. He was already all, what the world was said was a great Christian man. But he wasn't saved yet. And he writes in his journal. I read it this week. He writes this at the end of his journal about that. He describes his life before and after God had really transformed his heart. His mind had been transformed. He had been trained at Oxford. But his heart had never been. And he said, I, and herein I found the difference between this and my former state chiefly consisted, I was striving, yea, fighting with all my might under the law, as well as under grace. But then I was sometimes, if not often, conquered. Now I was always conqueror. And he wasn't conqueror in his wit and might and power. He was conqueror through the work of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me close with this thought. What does it, by the way, though, we don't have another service, so I can just keep going, right? It's just my personality. You're going to get used to it. No, anyways, I better reserve some restraint this morning. What does it mean to inherit the earth? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's, that phrase is used in Scripture 40 times. Most of those are in the Old Testament where it's talking about the Jews inheriting the Canaan land, the promised land. It's sort of a physical thing. One writer said this is one of the only temporal promises in the New Testament. Jesus is speaking to a bunch of poor peasants on the hillside. The powerful and the arrogant are standing nearby in the shadows. And he tells those poor, powerless peasants that in his kingdom, they will possess a power greater than Caesar's. 
These people could not grasp it, I'm I'm sure. But he said, the meek, those who trust in God, those who commit to the Lord, wait on the Lord, those who are restrained by the grace of God, those who have the kingdom of God set up in their heart, those that are despised by this world and rejected, those who are persecuted and looked down upon, those who are mocked, they're going to inherit the, the earth. That must have been good news to those peasants sitting on that hillside with Jesus. And it must have been horrible news to those who were winning in that moment. What does it mean to inherit the earth? I'll give you my best, I'll give you my best explanation. I think it means this. Number one, in due time, God will advance your work if you trust in him. Jesus is saying that the meek, the faithful, the ones who are trusting in the Lord and waiting on the Lord, that there's coming a day where he's going to set the record straight and he's going to bless them. And you may be, you may be, you may feel like you're lost in the shadows. You may feel like your, your, your faithfulness is unnoticed and unseen and unproductive towards the expansion of the cause of God in your life. You may feel like that. And I got good news for you this morning. Jesus said, you be faithful and, and, and the meek will inherit the earth. That in due time, in due time, God will advance your work if you trust in him. Romans 8.32 says, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? I think what Jesus means when he says the meek will inherit the earth is it means that current circumstances do not tell the whole story. The world has a way of judging and determining whether or not we're successful or whether or not we are uh, important or whether or not we are influential. The world has a way of judging. How many Twitter followers do you have? If you have a lot of Twitter followers, you're important. If you have a few Twitter followers, you must be unimportant. Have you written a book? Do you have money? How big is your house? That's the world's measure. But Jesus tells us in this verse, sitting on the hillside with a bunch of poor peasants who were despised and rejected and were getting ready to be despised and rejected at a whole other level because of their faith in him. He is saying that with the world around him, the Romans and the Greeks and the Jews standing around with all of their physical, human arrogance and prestige. And Jesus says, I want to tell you something, guys. Just hang in there. It ain't like it looks right now. It looks like they're winning. Just hang in there. I have a feeling that when we get to heaven, we're going to be surprised. This is not theologically correct. It's not biblical, but it makes a point that is. I believe that those often in this life who are most esteemed perhaps aren't the most influential. Because it's just the nature of human. I'm not saying it's a vicious thing or a violent thing. But, but sometimes we like to esteem and, and give prestige to people. And, and only God in heaven knows the single mother. The single grandmother. The lonely one. The one lost in the shadows. The one who's not on stage. But the one who is faithful. And who is praying. And the one who is being trusting in the Lord and committing. And if, if the, you know, someone, you, they, there's a little joke that goes around that says, when we get to heaven, uh, our influence in this life will be, will be reflected by, uh, by the transportation that we, we drive.
heaven. So in other words, if you are very influential, you have great transportation. And if you're very in, not influential, you'll have poor transportation. And my, my, to use that analogy, I imagine we're going to get to heaven and there's going to be people we expect to be driving limousines. They're going to be riding skateboards. And there's going to be people that no one's ever heard of that are riding around in a limousine. Because Jesus is saying, it ain't how it looks now. The meek, no, they, they think they have the earth now. No, no. The earth they got's going to burn up. We're going to give you a new heaven and a new earth. And it's going to be totally different in that day. I believe Jesus is saying there's more to be gained than just stuff. He is certainly setting up a spiritual kingdom. And the world sees only physical gains. But Jesus is saying the one who will inherit the earth is the one who trusts in me and is given the spiritual blessings and benefits of the kingdom of heaven. And I believe it means someday we will inherit the new heaven and the new earth. In, Ma in Revelation chapter 21, John, this familiar verse, the verses that you're familiar with, John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth in verse 1. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. Wouldn't that be a bummer to work all your life to climb on top of the heap for this earth? And then at the end of your life and at the end of time, God says, let's just burn that one up my prized possession it's what I clamored it's what I cut people off for it's why I broke relationships it's why I was dishonest Lord wait it's why I fought my way nope he said that old heaven that old earth is going to be done away with but there's a new heaven and a new earth and now where are all those faithful where are the meek where are the ones who restrained their power in this life who let the Lord avenge them where are the ones he says in verse 5, He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give unto him that is the thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. And he that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And in this, in this verse, in these verses, in a moment, Jesus turns the tables. And he says in the very next verse, But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and sorcerers and the idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You see, there's coming a day where those who wait on the Lord, those who commit their way to the Lord, those who trust in the Lord, those who don't avenge themselves, those who don't clamor and squelch and squash and push and dishonest. Those who trust in the power of God and restrain His power by His grace. There's coming a day where they're going to inherit all things that God has for them. And those who may look like they're winning today. Those who look like they're winning today. Unless they repent, the tables will be turned. And their world, their earth will be burned up so will they Jesus said blessed are the meek blessed are those who trust in me for their future is bright amen this is where the fly lands on the potato salad right here I don't know I don't know what's going on in your life or your family but I do know this that I know a lot of marriages that could be could be healed if mom and dad would allow the Holy Spirit of God 
to intensify and cultivate the trait of meekness in their life. I know a lot of broken relationships over the years that have gone broken and for many, many years that could be healed if we would just say, you know what? I don't have to avenge myself. I don't have to set the record straight. I don't have to punish them. I just have to love them. I believe God could do amazing things in the church if we as Christians would say, Lord, would you make me meek through the power and the work of your Holy Spirit? Lord, would you help me? Give me grace. Enable me, oh God, to be obedient to you and restrain myself and trust in you and know that there's coming a day. There's coming a day, Lord, when you're going to work it out, you're going to solve it, Yes, even if it's in the next life, there's coming a day where you're going to give us all things. Amen. Aren't you glad for that this morning? Matthew Henry said, All the blessedness of heaven above and all the blessings of earth beneath are eventually the portion of the meek. Praise God. Lord Jesus, we need you today. We trust in you today. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church to understand the power and the work of God in our life. Oh, Lord, help us to know these aren't characteristics that we pick up off a smorgasbord and try to do our best, but they are the power of God at work in us. Teach us, train us, help us, bless us, oh God, according to your purposes and your will. We pray this today in Jesus' name. For more information about Eastlake Community Church, please visit us online at eastlake-church.com or find us on your favorite social media platform at EastlakeSML. Thanks for joining us.